This is Anna Marie Boyd, and you're listening to Moved by Grace Counseling Radio. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Anna Boyd, licensed professional counselor, registered drama therapist, registered yoga teacher, and PhD candidate in mind-body medicine with a specialization in integrative mental health. My podcast is going to supply you nuggets of information from specialists all over the world regarding innovative and somatic approaches to mental health treatment. In just 10 minutes each episode, or a little bit beyond that, we're going to learn about topics such as creative therapies, neuroscience and play, mind-body connection, and alternative approaches to psychotherapy. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into our special guest of the day. Our guest for the day, her name is Diane Powell, and she is a board-certified music therapist. So today we are going to learn about what music therapy is and what it looks like in practice. So what a gift to have you on the podcast today, Diane. I'm trying to think. I think we probably started to cross paths around probably seven or eight years ago oh it's been well no i guess maybe because it was probably like 2011 or 2012 that we met that's so I wild think it actually, i think it yeah now that i'm saying that because now that we started 2022 it's probably been about a decade yeah oh my goodness I'm, i was trying to think before this call and i think was follies the only show we got to work on together yeah follies was it but what a wild ride that was <laughs> shout out to the greater Louisville community theater that that space shout was adorable out. good memories <laughs> good time good time <laughs> it was a tiny little tiny little stage good people too though yes oh absolutely well, um, Diane's with us today it's for a very special treat uh, she is a is it board certified music therapist Yes, thank you for using my full official title. I mean, you could have just said a music therapist, but yes, officially we have a board certification. So uh, after our names, we have MTBC for Music Therapist Board Certified. That's actually really helpful to know because I didn't know y'all's acronym. So I'll I'll keep an eye out for that. Um, I'm curious for our listeners and for myself, this might be a tough question, but if you were in an elevator and you had to pitch what music therapy is how would you define it you know it's interesting you say it's a tough question this is something that comes up all the time actually even in college they were like prepared they literally we literally call it the elevator speech uh because working in a profession like music therapy it's something that's not as well known so i can give you my elevator speech but then i can also expand on that because i've had a lot of years of practice explaining what i do Um, And it's funny because sometimes my friends that have known me for a long time, if they're around and someone asks me a question, I usually turn to them to see if my friends can explain it. Anyways, I digress. So my (laughs) shortest explanation, the most concise explanation that I can give for music therapy um, is using music to achieve non-musical goals. Now, a lot of music therapists will roll their eyes at this definition because it really leaves out a lot, which I recognize. But I think if we're talking elevator speeches, Mm -hmm. it really is one of the most clear and concise ways that you can quickly explain to someone what we do. My most basic example, uh, because I have a background of working with kids with disabilities, Mm -hmm. I work a lot on cognitive goals and academic goals. So my most basic example for people is how did you learn your ABCs? 
Anna, how did you learn your ABCs? Oh my goodness, uh, through a song. Through a song, exactly. <laughs> so you were using that song for the academic purpose, for the non-music purpose of learning your ABCs. So essentially, that's the like very most basic elevator speech definition of what we do. Um, having more time to expand on it, I would say we are an established healthcare profession that has a lot of research supporting what we do. Uh, that is in a therapeutic relationship to use music as the primary modality for um, working on change and it could be change for social uh, goals, academic, cognitive, motor, speech, and even uh, emotional psychotherapy type goals. Um, I again have a background in uh, working with kids with disabilities so I work a lot on academic stuff, I work a lot on social stuff, and I work a lot on speech uh, goals as well. Uh, but I use music um as the primary way to address those things wow and um and you mentioned uh, well first of all let me back up a little bit i loved the elevator pitch of using music for non-musical goals just because that's so easy to comprehend and then like you said have the branches be able to expand on that um i'm curious because you mentioned a school district were you practicing music therapy um, when COVID came on the scene and do you mind sharing a little bit about what that was like to integrate your work with that? Sure, sure. So uh, music therapists can work with a lot of different populations in a lot of different settings. Um, I just have a personal connection to uh, the disability community mm -hmm. and so because of that I always knew a school district was going to be the best fit for me um so i had been working for a school district in dfw texas uh for 13 years full-time employed as a music therapist now not all school districts have a full-time music therapist um the area that i'm in in texas i really attribute it to there was one woman who was just really uh, a very uh wonderful advocate for music therapy in our profession and just really did a lot and so I think over her time being a resident in DFW and having interns and doing the work herself I think it really grew to be pretty common in DFW to have music therapists wow. being full-time employees of a school district uh, so all that to say uh, yes I was a full-time music therapist for a school district in Texas when COVID happened last year. And it was just really interesting to see um, because again, there were multiple music therapists working for school districts mm -hmm. when this happened. And um, it was really interesting to see how every school district responded completely in a different way. And because there's no guideline or rule book and we just kind of had to make decisions as they were happening. Um, so I had never done telehealth before. And when the school district shut down um, after spring break, there was just really the scramble for what does telehealth look like? What sort of like documentation do we need to be able to do telehealth? Um, so it, it was a real scramble. I fortunately am in a generation that's kind of I, I didn't grow up taking computer coding classes, so I certainly don't understand the like inner workings of how technology works, but I'm comfortable enough with it that I was like, you know what, let me just figure out what I can figure out. So I ended up doing a lot of virtual therapy over Zoom. 
Um, you know, I made a lot of interactive visuals that could be shared mm. using Google Docs. I made a lot of asynchronous materials um, that could be accessed for whatever reason. Um, that I, I created a Google site to host those asynchronous materials. So, so it was just a big scramble to figure out what telehealth looked like um, and, and just do the best we could figuring out things as we went stumbling along to try and support our students mm-hmm. um, in any in any way we could in the best way we could. I, I know there were a lot of shortcomings and I know, you know, I don't know that it's even still been perfected, but um, but we were all just figuring it out and had to figure it out quickly. So, yeah. so yes, that was a wild ride to go through, but Thank you so much for sharing. I just have so much admiration for the role that teachers and therapists took on during that time to really serve the people that they were working with. And um, I'm wondering if there were there any types of supports for you guys as teachers? Did you guys just kind of lean on each other? Or how, how did you personally get through that while also serving people? You know, that's a hard question to answer. Uh, Having a lot of, I'm no longer in the school district for the people who are listening. I had a major career shift, but um, from what I hear this year is even more challenging and it's hard to know how to support teachers, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because there's no perfect solution. And this is obviously so hard for so many different reasons. I will say from my experience, Um, I really was in a lot of communication with other music therapists, even though our districts were doing things differently, there was still a lot that, that, a lot of similarities. Um, so I really am thankful for my colleagues and, um, just the community of music therapists, um, in DFW specifically, like I said, there are a, a good handful of music therapists working for school districts. So I from being active in the field, just already had a a handful of people that I knew were maybe not going exactly through what I was going through, but were dealing with similar things. So I could reach out and um, ask ask them for support. Um, I don't know that I have a great answer for like supports that were given to me though, uh, other than the ones that I sought out for myself. And unfortunately, I think that's just a reality of being a employee of a public school district is unfortunately the bottom line is a lot of times you do not get the support that you need Mm -hmm. um, given to you. So you have to seek it out on your own. Mm -hmm. A lot of creativity and problem solving. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you know, so when the pandemic first hit, it was towards the end of that school year, but then we jumped into the next school year um, doing things. My school district was um, in person from the very beginning and people had to wear masks, but we had in-person students from the very beginning of the school year, as well as full remote students from the beginning of the school year. So that meant that I was now having to figure out how to do my job in three different ways because I had to figure out how to see students in person during COVID times. Um, again, this was what we're in the 21, 22. So this was the 20, 
2021 school year. So I had to figure out how to see students in person safely as best I could. I had to figure out how to see students remotely, which I kind of started doing already. But then I also had to figure out how to continue to provide asynchronous material. Mm. Um, So even though I had kind of gotten that ball rolling from the initial shutdown, now we were in a full blown, yep, this is what we're doing. And you've got to do it for me personally. It was like, you have to do it in all three of these ways for the entire school year. Um, Mm. So it was, it was challenging. And I spent a lot of time on my computer as someone who doesn't really, prior to COVID, you know, I was not on my computer very much other than making materials or doing documentation. Other than that, I'm in and out of school districts, seeing kiddos, and I prefer it that way. So uh, I got really, I got to be really close friends with my MacBook. Thanks, MacBook. Thanks a lot of skills in the IT realm. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. shout out to Apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your personal just experience with that. Um, and I guess I'm thinking about like, gosh, all of the multitasking that must go into doing things in three different ways. I'm curious. There might be three, six million different answers for this, actually. But typically, what does a music therapy session or do you guys, do you call it a session or is it a class? Yeah, no, it's definitely a session. I mean, it is, that is part of the the official American Music Therapy Association, which is our professional organization. Their official definition is, it does specify that it's done within a therapeutic relationship. So, um, yes, it is a session and it really depends on the student and the need. Mm -hmm. So, again, um, music therapist working with so many different populations ending up in a school district you have the I honestly feel like it's kind of an advantage any um, child who any student who receives special services from a school district has what's called an IEP an individualized education plan and that is a document that's worked on with all the professionals uh, that work with the child as well as administrator representative and the parent or guardian Mm -hmm. and within that IEP is specified a certain number of goals and objectives Mm -hmm. that are deemed to be the most important for helping the student move forward in their school. Um, So as a music therapist in a school district, I um, rely heavily on looking at the IEP to see, because I am also a part of the IEP team. So I am a part of creating those goals, but I also am supporting those goals. So uh, typically a session, um, you know, I always like to start with some sort of like check-in, greeting, how are you? Uh, Because for my personal philosophy of music therapy, I never want them to feel like I think there's anything wrong with them. I want them to feel validated with who they are and where they are um, and just know that I'm just there to help support any growth uh, that might be um, valuable to adding quality to their lives. So anyway, so I'd like to do some sort of hello, greeting, check-in warm up um, and then from there you know it can be anything from I have students who sometimes uh, need help remembering personal information so I have a lot of songs about like remembering your address or remembering your phone number oh. um, 
I have a lot of students who I do a lot of co-treating. So like with the OTs, with the occupational therapists, I might have students who are struggling with learning how to tie their shoe. So the occupational therapist will work with them on the fine motor aspects of tying your shoe. Whereas I can come in with a song that sequences the steps to tying your shoe. Um, speech therapist, again, there's a lot of communication stuff. Uh, one of the wonderful things about songs is that they can be very repetitive. So if I have a student that's working on using an assistive uh, technology device as their primary form of communication, then we can have a repeated phrase within a song and then, or maybe it's like, um, uh, like Old MacDonald, Old MacDonald had a farm, like you're going to repeat that over and yeah. over again. And the way, the way that the music is structured, it, it leads you to wanting to complete that phrase so maybe they have a device and we put a button in there that says farm and it's got a little picture of a farm and so I sing that phrase and then they can work on their communication skills by activating their device to say the word farm to complete the song um so that's like a communication goal um motor skills um you know there's there's a lot I'm actually back in school and the program that I'm at has a heavy emphasis in neuroscience which is just fascinating to me and one of the reasons I was really excited to come study here and there's just I mean number one there's just a lot of research in general about music and um that supports the effectiveness of music therapy but it was just really fascinating to have a whole semester where I just got to really dive into the research looking specifically at the brain activation that happens with music Mm -hmm. and there's a lot that happens with rhythm that can be utilized to help work on motor skills um, I, I don't work with this population, but a lot of people with Parkinson's mm-hmm. or if they've had a stroke and have a, a left side uh, or a side neglect, you can use that rhythm to activate areas in their brain to help them then walk at a more appropriate gait. Um, and, and the music and the rhythm from the music helps light up these areas in the brain that make those networks possible and help correct those networks. So motor skills or social skills I do work um, which I know is more of the behavior social stuff is a lot of what you probably deal with Um, I was able to support um, a couple of our behavior classrooms I I, I should have called that they were I forget what the label is now but essentially our, our friends that were on the general education curriculum but struggled with um being able to function in a general ed classroom Mm -hmm. um so i did a lot of drumming with them and i was fortunate to go to a training called uh to recovery that is uh, based by um a man from australia but it just is a lot of you know again evidence-based techniques using drumming to address social emotional learning so like we would all have a drum and i would call it the emotional detective and i would I would place something, I would essentially play an emotion. Like I I would have a card that said happy and they didn't know what my card said. And then I would play like I was happy and I would have them all copy that. And then we would stop and I would say, okay, who wants to guess what emotion I was playing? And um, not only did they have the experience of seeing someone else's emotions and reflecting someone else's emotions, but then they also had to go through the process of 
okay, how do we express our emotions and does everyone express their emotions in the same way and what's an appropriate way to express your emotions or a not appropriate way. So um, I did a lot of, of drumming stuff um, to work on sort of more social emotional goals in, in the school district. Um, so yeah, so I mean, it, it could be anything and that's one of the things about working for a school district. They can start at three years old and essentially can be there until they're 21. They can turn 22 within the school year. But um, so I saw all ages, three to 21, and I saw all variety of disabilities. Um, yeah, so I, I, I had a, a big variety of what I did uh, day to day and session to session. That's extremely valuable. I'm just thinking about that last exercise you mentioned with the drumming and like how many of my couples work and family clients would benefit so much just from learning how to validate and reflect the other person's emotion. That, that's so cool to use drums to be able to do that. Yeah. So I would actually, you know, one of the things about music is that we don't, we as music therapists don't have ownership over music. It's mm-hmm. not like we are the only people in the world who can use music to advocate for change. You know, I saw it in the school district all the time. Teachers use music all the time. The speech therapists use music all the time. Even the OTs got to where they would use music a lot. So um, I, I did mention it, but I would repeat that Rhythm to Recovery um, was the name of that training that I did. And I just, I would highly recommend it for music therapists or even for not. It's open to anyone. Um, Simon is the name of the man who developed it, and he himself is not a music therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a training that anyone could take. And if you're interested on using drumming specifically to address social emotional goals. Rhythm for recovery. uh, Rhythm to recovery. To recovery. recovery. Yes. And I I apologize. I don't have the exact website, but it's rhythm to recovery and um, with the number two. And like I said, Simon from Australia. Hopefully that's so, enough information yeah. that people are interested. They could they could Google and find it. But I it was something that I, I thoroughly enjoyed and I got a I gained a lot from and so I would encourage music therapists and non music therapists yeah. wanting to look into using those type of techniques. It's something that I would encourage you to look into doing. Certainly. And I will um I will Google that and put that in the show notes. So if people are curious or interested in the rhythm to recovery training, whether you're a therapist or not, um, they'll have access to that. Thank you so much, Diane, for that recommendation. And I guess as a kind of a final question for you, if any of our listeners are curious about what music therapy might, how they might be able to utilize it in their own uh, story, what recommendation would you give them as far as how to find a music therapist or where to start? Yeah, so um, while we do not have ownership over music, I would say we do kind of claim ownership over the title of music therapy. So mm-hmm. I guess I would just kindly ask that no one call themselves a music therapist mm-hmm. um, without the board certification. To become a music therapist, you do have to get a degree. So I have a, I have an undergrad of music, mm-hmm. I have a bachelor's of music in music therapy. Uh, the master's that I'm getting now is a master's of music therapy. Um, but 
again, I fully recognize and have no qualms with people who utilize music in their practice. I would just ask that you not say, I'm doing music therapy. Um, But if you were interested in learning more about our profession, um, as I mentioned earlier, our uh, professional organization is called the American Music Therapy Association. And that website is musictherapy.org. And there's a lot of really valuable information there just as far as you can at research you can look at more information for specific populations you can find a music therapist uh, there you could find out more about what it takes to become a music therapist so um the best resource to give you i would say or to give the listeners would be musictherapy.org for the american music therapy association website um yeah musictherapy.org yes Perfect. Thank you. And I guess as just a final question, I don't know if this is an appropriate question, but what would you say is your favorite song or a song that is like really close to your heart? <laughs> no, you're totally open to ask that. Um, I mean, song that's really, oh, my favorite song. Goodness, that's a hard one. <laughs> I mean, because I just, I use so, I mute, I use music so much for work. Um, and I'm really familiar with a lot of types of music, but for me personally, the music that I listen most to is Broadway musicals. As Anna mentioned, we met doing theater. I'm a huge musical nerd. So for personal enjoyment, it's usually either like worship music because those are my personal beliefs are Broadway musicals. Um, so I, I will say that I have a lot of emotional attachment to it is well with my soul mm. um i also get i also really have a lot of um i feel a lot of i feel all the feels i guess <laughs> they say. if uh you listen to you matter to me from waitress uh, oh, the musical my heart. a song yeah a song by sarah Bareilles. i just that one really stirs my heart um i don't know those are the two that come to the top of my head i guess as far as personal 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 songs that like stir a lot of emotions in me absolutely thank you so much for sharing that makes me want to go dive back into listening to some Broadway musicals oh my gosh please if if you're a listener listening to this and you want to just a taste of some good contemporary musicals I highly recommend listening to Waitress the musical Sarah Bareilles even did a concept album where she herself sang it with some other like Jason Mraz sang the the male character role um so um I would highly recommend it it's just really phenomenal phenomenal music Oh my gosh, I didn't know she did a concept album. Selfishly, that is what I'm going to do with the rest of my day. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It has been such a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much just for your life experience, for your insight, and all of the the great information you gave us about how to look into music therapy and, and what it's doing for the world. It's really incredible. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for giving me a chance to talk about it. I I was very fortunate to discover music therapy when I was 13 years old, and I am now almost almost 40, and it's all I've ever wanted to do, and I'm still just as passionate about it. So it's a, I find it to be just a really fulfilling profession if anyone's looking into becoming one yourself. Um, but even if you're not, I think it really adds a lot of value and can really, like, truly deeply help a lot of different people. So um, if you think it's something you or one of your loved ones might benefit from i really encourage you to look into it uh because it's it's really cool what 
our bodies can do and how our brains respond to music and how we can use that to cause change. Well, thank you again, Diane. And I have a feeling that we might need a episode two if you are ever down to join us again. Of course, of course. You're welcome, Anna. Happy to talk with you. So much gratitude and respect for Diane, for her expertise, for her stories, for her knowledge, and for spending time with us today. So tune in next week as our series on drama therapy starts up again. Uh, We're going to have Dr. Robert Landy as a guest on the podcast. And if you're unfamiliar, Robert Landy is one of the known founding fathers of drama therapy and bringing it to America and the U.S. And um, a lot of his life's work revolves around integrating role theory. Um, So I'm so excited to share that with you and have a wonderful week.